All right, everyone, 2022, the Mission 300 podcast is back. We are so glad to be with you guys again for a brand new year. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason. I'm joined by Tommy, Caleb, and Brian, as always. And uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about the process of change. And I, I think that might be a little bit applicable to where everyone's lives have been over the last, I don't know, maybe a couple of years or for your entire life. But before we get into it, uh, let's intro everybody real quick. Tommy, are you awake? You ready? I'm ready. How's it going? Doing good, man. Caleb, you alive? Oh, yeah. Excited to record. See what's in store for 2022. Brian, I'm going to throw it to you to kind of lead us into this. So being a new year, 2022, we're all looking for change, right? That's kind of the, that's kind of that new year resolution feel of, Hey, what's, what's going to be different and how do we go about that? And I want to bring up this idea that I, I read and I, it's always been from a negative perspective and it probably is a negative concept, but I kind of wanted to break it down a little bit because I think there's applications of it, of how it comes about, but it does promote change. And it's this concept of demoralize destabilize, then normalize, and how it's implemented and how to go about it and what's good from it, what's bad from it, and how is that affecting our everyday life? So maybe we're changing and we don't even realize it and we don't want to, but how can we be more intentional? So I kind of want to break this whole idea apart. So with that said, let me just kick off with this idea that I was uh, pondering Several years ago, I read this book is called How to Become a Billionaire, right? Because why read the book How to Become a Millionaire? Why not just skip ahead and how to become a billionaire? And I suppose in today's world is how to become a trillionaire. There you go. But this book was like written like 20 years ago. And in that process, one of the main characters, they're talking like different characters who became billionaires. And one of them was Ross Perot. I don't know if you remember, he's the guy that ran for president years ago, I think back in the early 90s. Um billionaire guy but they were talking about something very interesting is that to be a millionaire like if you really want to go at that you have to learn the system what's the system what's the marketplace how to bring your product or your service out and how to invest into that so it was all about utilizing what's already existing but the billionaire thought when they went and studied these like i think there were seven billionaires that they they analyzed their life and the process that they went to become a billionaire they had to go beyond that because in order to step beyond being a millionaire at the time, you had to break things. So you had to, you had to change the way people thought about things. And in order to do that, the number one thing they did said is you have to create a lobby group to begin changing laws and policies to better your product. So in order to get to that next phase, and by the way, me saying all this stuff, I'm not saying this is the right way or the wrong way. I'm just bringing out what they went about to get to that point. And we could see that in our current world, right? Because most politicians aren't there just for the cause. Someone is paying for them to be there. There's something lobbyists, lobbyists create more laws than actual the lawmakers create. So that's just the way our world is good, bad, indifferent. That's just a fact of the matter. So I thought it was very interesting how they went about this. And it really kind of implemented some of this idea of demoralizing something, then you have to destabilize it, then you have to introduce your new product or your new idea or your new thought and make it normal, then people adopt to that normalcy. So I thought we would kick off with um, any ideas around that. And it really came to this um, article that I just read. And I thought it was very interesting. So I don't want you to read the article about good, bad, or indifferent. I want you to look at the challenge of a company wanting to infiltrate a marketplace. So the article came from, it was on CNBC. The title is Goldman Sachs. So you guys are all familiar with Goldman Sachs. Probably the, the investing showcase major company, right? So when we think of Goldman Sachs, you think of pretty much all the treasury secretaries, anybody involved in finance has worked in Goldman Sachs at one point or another, huge investment firm. They asked in the biotech research report, quote, is curing patients a sustainable business model? I want you to hear what they said. Is curing patients, so they're, they're, they're just an investors, okay? So you're just looking from the business aspect talking to biotech firms and pharmaceutical companies is curing patients a sustainable business model. 
ponder that for a moment. Then they go on to say, the potential to deliver one-shot cures is one of the most attractive aspects of gene therapy, genetically engineered cell therapy and gene editing. However, such treatments offer a very different outlook with regard to recurring revenue versus with regard to recurring revenue versus chronic therapies. Analyst Salvine Richter wrote in the note to clients on Tuesday. While this proposition carries tremendous value for patients and society, it could represent a challenge for genome medicine developers looking for sustained cash flow. We could look at this from every different angle. And I just thought it was very interesting looking at how investors look at life. And boy, many of you, that could really throw a lot of problems. So I'm not getting into any specific issue. What I want to talk about is if they want to create a marketplace, they have to first change what we're looking for as a society, right? So in a way, that's a type of demoralizing us in the way we're going about things, in the ways that we do things. They need to change society to look at things differently. Then they need to destabilize the way things were being done in order to normalize a new way that there's that we would rather substitute uh, treatments instead of a cure. And they said the one model that still works is cancer because no one's come up with a cure because they can continue invest in it because there's a constant marketplace. And I don't think we often look at any of those other aspects. We look at it like just society or we look at things from a political point, but we don't look at things from an investor point of if you're responsible to bring a product or you're responsible to bring an idea, how do you bring that about in a way that creates your business model that you can keep replicating yourself. So I was just, I thought that was an interesting, and we're not going to spend all our time on the business side, but I just thought it was an interesting concept that I can see how to de demoralize, destabilize, and then normalize would fit in a change of a company that needs to go to a new level. And so what are your thoughts on that? Like those, especially the first two of those three things, maybe it's just the terminology, but it seems like an obviously negative thing like to demoralize something, how can you possibly use that in a good sense? I, I mean, at, at times we, we kind of imply or when we impute motive to these terms, like the term manipulation isn't necessarily negative. If, if by definition, it just means to, to influence someone or to persuade someone of something that can be used for good or evil. But like these terms really seem to be a negative way of bring about bringing about change because why would you want to demoralize someone if you're trying to change them for the better wouldn't you want to encourage them or build up the the morale that they already have or you know it, it just seems like a blatantly negative thing i'm not sure if you guys kind of read it the same way i would say a similar thing that it's just it it does seem to have like a very negative context with like demoralize and destabilize it just seems very negative but it is interesting that it works so i wonder if there's something behind that that drives the change or do you think it's like that specific like demoralizing someone does that in like and then destabilizing does that produce the change or is it something behind it that actually produces the change and could that be used in a positive context or is there, is there another way to look at it that makes it a positive change? I think I agree with Jason. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing when it comes to, like normalizing something or manipulating and changing something. I think when we think of manipulation, we're thinking of like how you manipulate people and everything like that, which can generally be bad and everything but i think if you're doing something to like change persuade people's opinions or persuade something might be more of like a positive word because instead of manipulating where you might be using tactics that the person isn't aware of whereas persuasion is more like you're putting it all out there to try and get them to change the ways i think maybe that would be good to like if we're like picking out the terms and everything 
um like is it are we talking just about just pure manipulation where it's like hidden motives and tactics to change something so that can it can be accepted as being normal and destabilizing like other things we have or is it more like persuasion where we're just trying to persuade people and give like logical arguments that would change their mind about something so i think that's a good point to like determine how are we looking at this situation from a negative or positive or somewhere in between neutral I mean, it could depend on the motive, like you were saying, like I picture if there's a city or a village of people that are being oppressed by, you know, a group of bad guys, really heavily armed, just oppressing this city or this village. And I'm the good guys and I come in to free them. I want to demoralize the enemy. I don't want their morale to go up, certainly. So I do want them demoralized. I do want them destabilized so that they can no longer oppress this city or this village. And so in that sense, good tactics to bring about change. And those are things you do want to do. So that, that brings up a good point. And, and I, I want to take this conversation much more on a personal level because I think it becomes easy. Like I can read this article just overall, just, just quick one sentence thing. When you saw this article, what was your first response when I just read it? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What was your first response when I read that article? It initially seemed like a very evil and negatively manipulative thing of people not caring what they're doing to others as long as their business model is growing, as long as they're enriching themselves. So who cares who it hurts? Who cares what I'm holding out from other people? I just want to increase myself. That's what it seemed like to me <laughs> uh, from like an investor perspective, I saw true. Like, yeah, it's true. Like if we cure something, we're not, we're not going to increase profits and an investor that you're trying to increase profits so you can profit. So I saw true. I think my first thought was if that's the perspective of people who obviously have like quote unquote more power than me from a like political perspective then my first thought was like I need to somehow create something within myself to where I can defend against that manipulation demoralization that was my first thought was like okay there's people out there like that who are thinking like that and that could be threatening me how do I defend and build something bigger in myself than what they're trying to do great perspectives. And I think it's important that I think sometimes we lose the, the, the conversation a little bit that we just take the one side, like, cause actually I agree with all three of you. Like it depends on which side and what you're acting on is determining how you're looking at this, because let's just say, let's just, let's just go with this idea because we can villainize or we can make things heroic Let's don't add a label to good or bad of the company. Your company exists as a private company for profit or you don't exist. Who invests? Would you invest your money? Let's just, let's simplify this, right? We used to say a home is a great investment. Agreed? Would you invest your money when you know the market's going to drop 20% next year? Like, you know it, like I'm not assuming it or it could. I'm just saying, you know, you will go underwater next year by 20%. Let's just say, you know, new laws are going into place. Da, da, da. Would you buy a home at that point? Be honest. Hmm. I would like to say that I wouldn't be selfish, but if I had a family also who I was trying to protect and everything, I don't know. Let's be real. None of us would buy that house unless you could lose it. Like it didn't matter to you. The money didn't matter. Like you had plenty of it and it was not a big deal. Then you may. I'm just talking about from an investor point of view, you have limited resources. You need to be wise with your money, right? Haven't we been all taught the Dave Ramsey thing? You got to be wise. You got to be wise. So, right. Would, would Dave Ramsey say, go buy that house? No. And honestly, this, this is the reality. This is why we get into all these, 
we have so many dimensions that we're looking at things. And that's why it looks like we're almost hypocritical on many things. So nowhere in this article did this, this company say, let's, and let's just, I have to assume the best or we can't have a good conversation. They're making good, good product that is helping people and it's not hurting people. Let's just say there's no side effects to any of the things they're doing. They just don't want to come up with a cure. Is there something wrong with a company not wanting to create a product that will cure the problem, but is a, a maintenance solution to the problem? Is that a wrong thing for a company to focus on? No, not inherently. Tell me a business model that wants to create something so they can't be in business anymore. Tell me a company. Because normally if they do, they'd go out of business. Or they right. don't exist in the first place. Like imagine trying to be one of the people that starts that company and going to uh, backers or venture capitalists be like, all right, here's my plan. I want to start this company. I need $25 million to do it. And you're going to get zero of it back ever. I need capital for it. So would that make capitalism, would that mean building a business? And I, I'm not referring to multi-controlling entities i'm just talking about just general business would that make those business people bad for this idea or should it be done differently then if it's if it's that alone because what we always end up doing is attributing um like a secondary motive to it so if person a is starting a business if i'm starting a business to provide a product that is a subscription-based thing for people they have to keep coming back to to get the benefit for it we always assume an extra motive of I am therefore going to actively fight against anything that would bring a cure to that. And I don't think you necessarily have that if you're in, in just the concept of it. You can actively pursue something that is a Band-Aid, is a temporary uh, solution for someone without necessarily fighting against a cure from a motive perspective. So give me an example of someone that would actually want to cure you to no benefit to themselves. What, what would be an example of a system or a government or a process that actually wants to cause you to become independent of them? What would be an example of something that didn't try to demoralize, didn't try to destabilize and normalize something new, rather they actually try to moralize you. They try to stabilize you. That would be all becoming independent, self-sufficient, strong, right? On an individual level and make that normal, like continue the normal of what you actually are. What, what type of process does that? I think any mentorship program, like, um, like Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm sure they're like, not like, okay, but you need to like take a sip every couple of weeks. That way you're coming back to our program. So I think anything like that, they're trying to make you completely independent of them. But I don't know. That's not necessarily a business model. I think that's more charity in a sense. Maybe someone could correct me on this because I'm, I'm honestly not familiar enough to know for sure. But from my understanding, isn't Alcoholics Anonymous, it's not designed to be a, okay, well, after, you know, coming to group for six months or a year and a half, now you're good. You never have to come back. Isn't, isn't that, isn't there much more of a, well, this is something you need the rest of your life. You need to come to meetings forever now. And I don't mean that in a negative way necessarily. That's my understanding of the approach. I could be wrong on that. I'm not sure about it either. The only thing I can say from a, the perspective of what I read in scripture is that uh, just the constant reaffirming that you are an alcoholic. So therefore you constantly always have to be a part of the alcoholic group. There is an element that keeps a tie to that group. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that there, there, there is still an element that you're no longer a normal person. You're an alcoholic now. So in a way, they destabilize the idea. I'm just saying this could be a way that you could look at it from a good perspective. I'm just 
I'm trying to throw this around to try to tear this whole thing apart. And I, I'm not for it one way or the other. I'm just trying to look at how society and how change takes place. So in a way, you're an alcoholic, right? You believe you've been drinking, you, you're constantly, you've been doing this for years. And finally, it's like, my life is a wreck. I need to do something, right? Alcoholics comes along or AA comes along and it walks you through the 12 step program, right? It's very effective. It's been used for years. So, so this is not, there's no negative here. I'm just walking through the process. So they come and let you know, this is what's normal. And then that person has to start going and dealing with all the ways they've been living forever. That was normal to them. Like they were normally a jerk. They use people, they, you know, out of control, right? That was their normal way. So in a way, AA demoralize that old way of thinking is destabilizing the way your life is. You basically are going to have to rebuild and we're going to help you rebuild, but you have to rebuild. So they destabilize every mechanism that you once used to cope and to have a crutch and to do all that stuff. It destabilizes all of that, that now you're kind of a broken individual You and you have to face it. I'm responsible right? So they're, they're causing you to do it. And then they start normalizing you. They bring you back into what you could be. I'm still not sure why they never let you not be an alcoholic anymore, but I understand what they're saying is like, you're going to have a propensity to want to go back to that. But in a way they use that same principle. It's a great example. And I think their motives are good because the groups don't get paid. They all volunteer with each other. So they're just contributed to each other's life right? So from that aspect, the whole concept has been great. But now about but now looking at I'm just looking at normal world decisions. How many people would say this company is bad for what they're thinking? But when we go to work every day, what helps us make our decisions? Why do we make the decisions we do? Why do we make the decisions where we're going to work? Why do we make the decisions where we're going to live? Why do we make the decisions of any of these things? Because we've normalized a way of living, right? And so when we look at, look at this, when you sit down at the end of the month and you're going through your checkbook, what are the decisions that you're making? How you spend your money, where you spend your money? Based on what you think is best for you. I mean, I would, I would take checkbooks out of it because I haven't used a checkbook in my entire adult life, except for once yeah. as a technicality, but I know what you mean. Why don't you use a checkbook anymore? And this is going to make a great point. Because they're unnecessary. When did they become unnecessary? When uh, online banking started doing all that accounting for you. So you didn't have to keep track of it yourself. Or if you did want to look at it yourself, you just log in and see all the transactions. Do you balance your checkbook anymore? Nope. Why? I've never even done that. We don't use checks. We've, I, my wife and I have written, I believe, three checks in our entire um, uh, married life. And two of them were to her parents for, um, we went and split a cow uh, to get beef from her parents. And her mom wanted a check for it because that's just the way she rolls. We don't use checks. So here's, here's a great example. If you look at an older generation, my mom still goes through her bank statement, balances her checkbook, make sure she's not getting cheated on something. And I will tell you, she finds little fees that shouldn't have been there. She still goes through that. Why? Because she's old school. She has not been demoralized in the way of thinking that I'm just going to trust the bank to take care of things. To her, that, that, tra that transition, you don't make that transition. And you're not going to convince her to make that transition. You see, it's interesting that even that whole idea on checks, we're kind of jumping off the AA meeting piece, but I'm trying to get to the point, how many things have we changed to, to using online banking that we don't even look at it anymore? From a day where you, to be responsible as you learned how to balance your checkbook. We've, we've switched gears in a real powerful way. We trust the system to take care of that. That came from a demoralizing of being responsible for your stuff and you're in charge 
to trusting something else to do it. So it destabilized, it made it hard to write checks, right? So the society, some places wouldn't take checks anymore. Uh, they, they started making it hard. Then they went to bill pay. So now they'll take care of your check. And do you see how all that started working? That I remember when the first ATM card came out and everybody said that was the mark of the beast. Really? They're going to control the spending. Oh yeah, I totally remember it. It's like, oh, they're going to control the spending. You got to use this card now. And they're going to control that. I can't spend cash. I can't write a check. I'm not in charge anymore. I've got to trust the bank to run that. Now, I'm not saying every group. I'm just saying where there's, I'm not agreeing with the whole concept. I'm just saying, I remember that. Well, now that we are so beyond that point. Now it's almost virtual transactions. Most people don't even see cash. They just use their card, right? So in a way, a system demoralized one way of being responsible, independent, to becoming dependent on a system by destabilizing how you could be independent to today where we don't even think about it anymore. It's become normal. But can't I, you use that new system in a positive or in, in a way that doesn't make you more of a slave to the system, I guess, because my wife and I, we check our statements just the same as we would in our checkbook. And, and we don't, um, what was the, um, shoot, I just lost my train of thought there. Oh, so we, we check our bank statements. Um, but we also feel that it's actually more secure this way. We were having this conversation a few days ago and uh, with someone else and, and they were saying, can you remember, can you believe people used to use checks all the time? Think of all the information that's on there, your account number, your routing number, your address, your, your billing address, your home address, your name, sometimes your cell phone and home number was on there. You lose one check or someone takes a glance at one check and your identity stolen. And so it was seen and right or wrong as the system that destabilized that way of living with checks, physical checks, the new system that destabilized that was bringing in a better way. And I think you see that a lot, good or bad. A new system comes in and maybe it is improving and doing away with an old bad system, or maybe it's just putting up the facade of that, when in reality, it's worse for you. So what's bigger now? Fraud from people taking the information off your check back 40 years ago or fraud that we actually now have to buy services to watch our credit report. Now, every place you buy online has your information. So now we freely give it out to everybody. I'm just saying, I just think it's, I'm, I'm talking about change. We're talking about change here, right? Let's, we're not getting into whether that issue, I'm saying, just look how we mentally surrendered and we made something normal, but it's no more safer. Because now all someone doesn't hack into each individual person. All they have to do is hack into, I don't remember if you guys, I think it was about six, seven years ago when Target got, their system got hacked oh, yeah. and like millions of people had all their information stolen. See, now that now it's made it easier for fraud. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, I'm just talking about though, look at the things that we've, that were demoralized, right? Because why 50 years ago? Well, no, not, let's go back 60 years ago. 60 years ago, did you need a bank? To some degree, yes, because you wanted to make interest on your money. You held it. You're not going to stick cash in. But could you function in cash? Yeah. Can you function in cash today? Maybe technically, but not practically. Do you get coins back at every store when you give your dollar bills? When we were back in Minnesota, time. we were back in Minnesota, went to a holiday. We don't have any change. So if you didn't pay the exact Seriously. amount, they wouldn't give you back change. Nope. When we're in Oklahoma, we don't have coins. There's a shortage. So what was it telling you to do? Use your card. Now, again, the era that had to switch to this new system had to be demoralized because they're coming out of the depression. They held their cash. They were very frugal. They were very smart and they didn't trust the bank to care for them. So everything was cash. It was very independent, very different, but they, they had to switch people over. So they had to demoralize that thought 
Well, they couldn't fully demoralize it. So the next step was destabilize it where they made it hard for you to function without the use of the bank. And how did they do that is they passed laws to make it easier for the bank. Then when the bank can do that, then over time, the people became demoralized of trying to function in their old way that they gave over. And then pretty soon the normal way came in. And now our generation doesn't know anything different. As you're going through this, I think of like convenience. Convenience is king in America. How can we do stuff faster, quicker, better, all of that. And it's, <clears throat> it's interesting for me to look at that and be like, oh, wow, that actually makes sense. Like, why do we use a card, you know, why do we trust the system? <clears throat> but I think in order for something to change like that, there needs to become a pain with it. When there isn't a pain of like, do you, does that make sense? Like using my card is so pain free to me because I've never had anything happen where I lose money or, you know, like anything like that. So I think for like innovation to happen there needs to be some sort of pain that's overbearing enough that changing it isn't as painful does that make sense like yeah give me an example i guess like we can keep rolling on the banks like bitcoin and cryptocurrency why why is this becoming a new thing because people are tired of banks right at least from what i've heard and from the people i'm around who talk about cryptocurrency and this type of stuff is because they're tired of of being known of they're tired of everything being out in the open they're tired of their banks being decentralized norm and so their pain has produced a new a new way of doing this and so that that's does that make sense like does that follow like yeah and you can you can use this example when and it's interesting how maybe at the time you don't notice the pain is there, but if you look back in hindsight over history, you see how painful something, or you have a sense of something being painful. So here's the example. Decades ago, you would get a Sears catalog. This was before my time. You'd get a Sears catalog in or some kind of catalog. You'd see things you like. You'd have to mail a check into the company, which would take a week, two weeks, however long, and order the things you want. And then those things would eventually be shipped back to you. Can any of us imagine doing that now? Now you see something on Amazon within two clicks, it's there tomorrow or the same day if you want it. And, and to look back at that, to have to do things that old way would be very painful. But we've been accustomed to this new system, not saying it's right or wrong or good or bad. This new system has made us so accustomed and comfortable to it that we almost can't imagine living the old way. And maybe that's good and maybe that's bad. That's really interesting because I was kind of looking up the definition of normalizing and I just put normalizing into Google. And instead of like it pulling up like an actual definition or something, it pulled up like this iron company and it says, what is normalizing? And it's a heat treatment process that is used to make an iron-based alloy steel more ductile and tough. And it's basically a hardening process that involves heating the steel to an elevated temperature and then slowly cooling it, which is just really interesting because I think that is what you're saying, Tommy, right there. Like, that's what normalizing is, is it's a painful process that's heating up all the elements in our life. And then it's like, okay, what happens after that cools down? What's changed? Like, it, it literally, it says mm. that it reforms the microstructure into more the microstructure into more ductile structures so even like normalizing it's like changing all these little pieces of our life and what's like the big outcome at the end after i think that's a really good point tommy it's interesting that that's what popped up when i googled normalizing it was like a chemical process but it's also like it's the perfect analogy for what it actually is no i'm sure that would never have any correlation with what happens to people at times throughout history that really defines everything that and and it's a, it's not like a necessarily i think it's a neutral process because you can normalize towards like the steel it's going to be changed after into something tougher and it's not necessarily that it's bad 
and how it's like more tough in that structure or good because I think we can go through through things in our lives that it's like a painful process for us but on the other side we'll be normalized to be stronger and a better person and I think it can also happen the opposite way where like we'll go through a painful process in our life and it'll create more dependence on something because of how like we went through that process of heating and then what happened after so so just to clarify this we brought up a really good example of aa would be kind of a good example where you're actually trying to make people what they're supposed to be there's some flaws in every one of these examples but for for the most part there's not really a financial motive there's it's more relational uh, I, I think probably the best example is a healthy family would be an example of how this would function um, where you're actually moralizing, stabilizing into norm into that norm of what's uh, proper. So the question now comes, so, so we're kind of looking at this concept. It can be used for good. It can be loose, used for bad. Um I brought, I brought up this, the statement with the, that, that article, and it's so pertinent into today's because there's such a hostility of anger at the pharmacy companies, you know, you know, just right. It's like of any topic you could bring up, it probably is the most divisive, but to sit and look at it honestly of how a normal person would look at, if you're the investor, what are you looking for? Nobody's investing in a company. Would you invest best in Tesla that makes one car and gives it away to everybody for them to copy? Gives the blueprints, gives the plans, and just gives it away. Would you invest in that company from an investor's point of view? Never. You want to know what your return is going to be. How many cars are you going to put out? How's your market going to go? What's your longevity? What's your plans after saturation of the market? What are you going to do? How are you going to evolve? How are you going to do those things? Right? That's, that's what an investor looks at. Right? Just, and Jesus used the investing process, right? Like, hey, you get so much, you get so much, you get so much. Some brought back a return. The one guy buried it. It's not about whether the talent of that whole process, but investment, you put corn in the ground, you expect it to have a yield, right? You don't want to put one corn seed in to get one corn seed out. You don't want to put one corn seed in to get one corn stock. Now you don't have any corn seed and you can't grow anything. You're done. You want something that can repeat itself, that can replicate itself, that can keep growing. And I think that's what the article was trying to talk about. The problem is we start seeing another side of things that a lot of other things have been mixed into our world and we have a godless system of good people trying to operate in. And so my question comes, what would be the kingdom of God way of functioning in this earth if demoralizing a people, destabilizing them so you can normalize what you think you wanna bring out, how do you do this and be a good business person in an environment that everything functions on this process of demoralize, destabilize to normalize. Well, when I think of like this specific situation with, you know, do we come out with a cure because that basically takes out our target market and destroys the business, right? But I think if you're looking at it from a kingdom of God perspective, you need to look at it from how can I have compassion for the situation? And I think in a in a secular world, like you said, it, it, that's very hard to do. But I think once someone does, the market will change. The market adapts to that, right? So like all it takes is one person to innovate and to change, right? Because if... If, if one company decides to step out and do this, it it makes all the other companies have to change and develop a new model, a new system. So I, I don't know. It's, it's a hard question. My question is, did Jesus use a similar process when he entered this earth? You can tell me if this is like with the train of thought that you're going with, but I think like from a spiritual perspective, if that's the road to go down, like demoralizing, I think morals, like evil has its own morals, essentially. 
it's not good morals. So like if we are carrying light and the truth with us, then the truth should demoralize evil. So when we're interacting with people, they have morals or ideas of like what's right and wrong. But if like the truth should be more powerful than that. So it should demoralize their wrong ideas within them or like the evil that they're experiencing in their life. And then that will destabilize what their reality is. And then I think we normalize by bringing in the truth and showing them that the truth is something more powerful. And I think that's the same thing with like the process of normalizing where it's like experiencing this heat because when you demoralize and destabilize something, like when you destabilize atoms, there's a lot more energy there in chaos. And then you have to like come into the chaos. Like that's what Jesus did when he came into the earth, he came into chaos and evil and all this. And he brought something stable and essentially he renormalized like what reality is for us by showing a different way to walk in life. And I think that's like for us, the same thing that we're supposed to do is what are we normalizing by how we're walking in our lives and showing other people what the truth is and how does that even start destabilizing and demoralizing what they believe about reality and truth and God. That's great. That's a great perspective. And I think you, you brought up something good is I find, especially in our current world, terms are used well, first of all, everybody's redefining terms every single day. So we don't even know what term is supposed to be used at any given moment. But I think there's some interesting uh, thoughts. And like Jason, you're talking about like in military, this is an absolute military tactic. This is this is exactly what you have to do the enemy. And in, and in some ways, if you look at any sporting event, any sporting event, whether it's boxing, whether it's uh, football, whether it's basketball, whether it's soccer, what, whatever sporting event it is, there is a sense that your actions are to demoralize so that way the other team or your opponent is thrown slightly off. There's this idea with the original samurai that in order, for, if you have two good samurais that are fighting with each other, their mission is not necessarily to be stronger and faster and harder. I mean, there's an element, but you're talking about two equal people. So let's just put them as equal. Their mission is to get the rhythm of the other samurai off so they can step in. It's all to disrupt their rhythm. Then you can make your strikes. And I think that is probably the bigger, the bigger concept here. But as I'm looking, looking at some of this stuff, I, I guess I'm coming to the point where if we're going to always, we, we talk about what, what is true and our world doesn't know what is true. And I'm, I want over time, especially as Mission 300, our idea is to develop and, and provide, we do it here in person, right? So our mentorship side, but even with the podcast is how do we put tools that we can take what we believe about Jesus, who he is, who we are to him, what is our life, the kingdom of God, and live in this world, obviously not be of this world, but be in this world and to be functional where we're affecting but how do we do it in a way that we don't become part of the system but we're not always just the antagonist to everything because then you're of no effect either how do you become a daniel right how do you become a joseph how do you become an esther okay granted those are not the best examples because they're by slavery were put into those places right but but look how they rose up and they actually benefited they, they function, they knew how to function within that system, but they never became part of it. So how do we be normal that we be, we're moralized, we're stabilized, but we can operate within this. How do you set up a business that you don't do it the way the world does? And that, when I say world, I'm referring to a system that actually has a one-sided benefit. How do we do things in a way? And there is businesses out there that do this, by the way. Not every business functions like this. There's business, if you created a business model that we want to create cures for things so we can move on. And then we go to the next thing. Like their whole business model could be just cures. They don't want the other side. So it's, just, it's really how you set up your business model. 
to do that. But the problem is you get a lot coming in. And I, I, I see this even in good organizations. It could be a good church. It could be anything like that. Over time, they begin accommodating a certain way of doing things. And now if they will kind of bend or whatever, right? It just becomes easy to hit a certain a new market. And then what if people aren't buying what you're selling? If they're not buying what you're speaking? And so you end up having to let them know, like the denomination I grew up in, they had to beat you up every day. So you knew how pathetic you were. So that way you would come and get things right every Sunday. So your draw to church was because you didn't want to be a cast out. Well, that's using the world system. Why didn't I just want to come? So if you created that, there's a risk that you don't get the financial return or you don't get the whatever your objective return is. You don't get enough numbers. You don't get this or that. But what if we functioned solid? Would we not actually produce something much bigger long-term? And, and those are some of the questions that I really want to explore over this next year, because this is where people are at. How do I, I need to go get a job. I need to make money. I need, I, how, how am I supposed to work? There's not a lot of jobs or whatever, especially in Thailand and how to function. And uh, it, they'll end up looking at how the system works and finding a way to make money within that system. So in a way they'll demoralize themselves, destabilize to normalize into a way of doing things, but it's not the health necessarily the healthy way or the right way, or it's not really fixing anything, but to think outside of that, and look at it of how do I provide something that people need or, or whatever that, that idea is, how do I grow and be myself without having to constantly conform into something in order to take care of myself? And we don't realize these are big questions. These are huge questions. These are huge questions. What's right. What's moral. Is that analyst who's paid to invest for people's money, 401ks, um, whatever, like it's more than just rich people. It's like, he, he could be running all sorts of different investments for schools and people's retirement funds and everything. And they're trying to find ways of where to put the best money. And they have a question of the biotech firms. This was a legitimate question from that perspective of things, but it's affecting when we see more firsthand in our current world, how that's a direct effect seems negative. And maybe this is Maybe this is off track, but do you think it's it's almost a self-perpetuating cycle with that mentality? So the people that are pushing the idea, I need to build a subscription model to have customers that stay with me, are doing so because they feel that they're in the same thing. I have to keep growing this business so that I like they become a subscriber to their own system, that I need more to build myself up because that's the system I've given myself to already. And because you're in that, that's how you have to treat other people. That's how you view other people. But if you're actually set free from something, if, if that's really what Jesus came to do is to set people free in the kingdom of God and not just to bring in a new subscription service to a religion, then those people go and are more comfortable freeing other people and letting other people be free. Same way, like you said, I think Caleb, you mentioned earlier in mentorship, if you have a, a mentor or a leader who's so terrified of losing people and he's going to keep them at this level where they're constantly dependent on him, but what if there is a mentor or a leader that unlocked potential in someone to the point where they outgrew him and they no longer needed him? It's kind of a terrifying idea because then all your clients are gone. But I think it ultimately comes down to security and insecurity. If you're so insecure that you need to keep people in that system, then that's what you're going to do, whether it's in business or whether it's in relations. But if you're secure in who you are and you don't feel the need to put other people in that system, I think you operate differently. There is actually, because at some point it does come back to that. And there's actually a, a friend of ours here that goes to our church and she's part of a, um, it's, it's, from my understanding, it's a chiropractic service of sorts, but what they do ends up correcting the problem with people's alignment to the point where they don't need to return. And she was actually telling my wife a couple of years ago about this. And she said, our big problem is 
We fix people. They don't need us anymore. So we constantly have to find new clients instead of other services where it's just, you know what, you're going to have to be in twice a week for a couple of months. And then, you know, probably once a week for another year after that, and then so on and so on. Even from a ministry product idea, uh, we're, we're funded by donations, right? Why do people want to donate? You're producing something. It doesn't mean you're producing a product. You're, you're either keeping your word and producing um, lives are being changed. There's some metrics. There's something that people's lives are being changed by it. They're being affected by it. There's a, oh, let me just put it this way. Maybe not a production. Mm. There's a value people see in where they're putting their money. Now they yeah. may not get a financial return on it, but there's some return they're getting. They're, they're getting a personal value. They, they're feeling like they're a part of something that's making a difference. Uh, so when I say return, it doesn't always is a cash return. There's some investment that goes in that they see a long-term worth in what they're doing. And I will tell you, as soon as people don't see that, they don't want to be a part of it. Or if you're producing something that doesn't fit something they believe in, or they, they think should be going down that direction. So now you're, we're all in this, this strange modification system, because I believe God's your provider, but if you're running a business, I think he's providing there too. But how do we create, uh, how do we look at this from a perspective that we're free to make those decisions in the marketplace or in our business choices or in our new first career choices that we're not compromising, that we're not becoming demoralized, be destabilized, to be normalized into another way in order to do things. And then we step out and do Christianity or we do what our life is with God and we do it differently and we have a different message. How can we have the same message in the marketplace as the same message in the church walls? I mean, a lot of listeners that we target and people are college age students. So they're getting ready to step into this new world. How, how do we help them that they can be innovators? They can, they can do things that they can step in and do business. But how do you have a sense of how do I hold myself and it's worth holding myself and I'm worth something? Daniel became worth something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego became worth something, right? They didn't necessarily produce something like we would say, but they became worth something. Joseph was worth something to the Pharaoh. How do we create that sense of value that you're worth something internally, that that's your mark, Tommy? I think serving is a way. Like, I, I would say I'm really loyal to the people who have served me the most. That creates an intense bond of, like, if someone serves me and serves me and serves me, even if I don't ever give anything back to them, it's like, and maybe that's just me. Like, the next time I'm able to scratch their back, per se, I, I, you know, I'd be happy to. How do you take that idea, though, and bring it to your marketplace that still is valuable? Do you think the difference could be like what you're saying? Like, it's about creating value. So I think like we have the idea that we're creating a product, like the product could be our service. The product could be, be our work, all that. But if we create value where like we as individuals are more valuable than even maybe the product we're creating because of other things we bring to the table, other than just like what we're producing. So like we could like serving is a part of the value that we would bring to the table when interacting with people in business, but there's other elements that all create, like all add up to the value that you are as a person or a business. So like when people buy from a subscription service, they're not just buying for the product necessarily because there could be other subscription services out there that do the same thing, but you might have better customer service. So that's adding to your value as a business. And so it could be like, I think that's maybe a step in the right direction. I think it could go higher, but like, what do we do in ministry? We create value in people. Like you're giving value to themselves where they see themselves as a, as a valuable person. And so I think it's a similar thing in business where we're creating value more than just a product. Like it's like, 
that's how like you can build strong relationships with people in business and in person because you're bringing something more to the table than just what you look like can physically produce maybe it's like there's so many more aspects to people than just what they can put out as a producer of products and that's like the same thing with the church it's like are you going to produce good church members or are you going to produce people who are like valuable to other people around them and that's actually an even better business model for the church quote unquote because then like people will see their value as a person and their interactions will probably bring more people with them if that's what you're trying to do at the church and if you have good customer service and you have people in your business who interact well with other people people are going to remember that more than maybe even the product necessarily all the time so it's like what you're saying brian it's literally about creating value and I think we can do that in other people that's like when someone can become stronger than their leader is because the leader has created so much value in them that now they can like walk on their own independently of that leader because there's no more value that that leader can add to them and now they can go add value to other people and maybe that's more like what it should be seen as instead of like creating products like seeing people as a product you're creating at church maybe, or seeing like this subscription service of like, I don't know, sending out something every month or like a music platform that you can listen to. If there's more value to that, like with how you interact with the music platform and stuff like that, then it'll be used more. So it's more about like what value are you creating in people's lives? I know a few people like this and they've done amazing but I will tell you what, they've not only been productive and brought more value to their company, it's made some of the other bosses around them really mad at them. Because they're doing things in a way that is actually benefiting the customer, serving the customer, and they don't like doing that. So now you have to bring this guy down because he's, he's doing too much, yet he's bringing profit to the company. I feel like you, we still kind of dance around the question, though. Like, cause like what I heard you say is like, yes, all of this is possible. You need to think long term, and you know, all you need to be able to add value, and but still, none of that pays my rent, like you said. So, is there is there something wrong with operating in a system in a moment to make sure your needs are met? To make sure that you're not homeless on the street, but you're still giving value? All right, I'll give you a very specific example with an application. And I did this. When I left my management position at Best Buy, I wanted to go back into my own business. But I didn't know what to go into. And my mentor that I listened to for years, was a, a, he's a billionaire by the name of Peter Daniels out of Australia. You guys have heard me talk about him. Amazing Christian guy, interacted with him, had conversations with him about how to set up a board, all that stuff. But he just does things from this perspective. He does a kingdom concept within business and is very successful. Now, what he recommended and I just went and did it. Like, I didn't know where to start. And he goes, I'm going to give you an example where to start, right? Because the metaphor of the conference that he was in was all this. And finally, someone says, how do I start? You know nothing. How do I start being this? So he, he gave a recommendation. Well, I took that recommend, recommendation, just did exactly what he said. So he goes, let me, let me show you how to start a business. So he gave an example of a window cleaning business, which coincidentally, I went and just started a window cleaning business. I knew nothing about it, but I knew I could work hard. So I went and started a window cleaning business. How do you get started? We have marketing, you have all this stuff you need to do and people do all that. And he said, no, go to your neighbor, knock on the door, say, can I clean your windows? I'll do it for free. Clean the windows. Did that. I, I, did, th I did it exactly because I knew nothing. Like I want to do this differently. Went to the next house. Can I clean your windows? I just cleaned your neighbor's windows. I want to do it for free. Da, da, da. Clean the windows. Third house. Knock on the door. Hey, I just started a window cleaning business. I just cleaned your neighbor's windows and their, their windows. If you'd like to talk to them, they love the job. 
and this is what it would cost to do the business. Well, and they were said, sure, if they did it and they liked the work, then I started charging and I, I just did it in a way, but there was times I would just go serve somebody. Like I had this one lady, her, her daughter had no money and just, I just said, I'll go clean her window. I didn't know what else to do for her. So I went and cleaned her windows. Well, then she went and told her neighbors what they did. And then they said, Hey, will you, can we hire you to come and clean our windows? And I just started getting business off doing that. And my motive was, yeah, I, I needed to make money to take care of my family. I needed so much I needed to do, but I got my mind off of how much money am I going to make on this job? How much money am I going to make on this job? How about at times I just go and serve and I just make this kind of a ministry. And I would talk to the people when I was in the house and we'd talk about God and we would all, all these different things. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. It was hard. I'll be honest with you. And there's times it's like, okay, I got to get a little more money out of this. But I, I, I said, how can I be a better blessing to the person in front of me? And I might've gotten taken advantage of two and three times, but I always got a better deal five and six times. So it began washing itself out. And over time, that's just what we did. And that little business kept us. And when we moved to South Carolina and pastoring and all that, it helped subsidize and it helped us transition to where we are into this today, just because I took on that one little idea. And so I'm trading my service and my value, but sometimes you have to create the value that sometimes it's not about the cash. It's about just doing it for the people. And guess what? You clean their house and you're done. Now their windows could get dirty again, but you need new customers every day. So you're always looking for how I can bless someone new, bless someone new, bless someone new, bless someone new. And that's how we went about it. So would you say that mindset is not so much about extracting money from people to support what you want to do, but more about freely and openly exchanging value with other people? Yes. Because you weren't looking to it at every person well, what can I, how can I provide them value? So they give me money because at times you donated your services and your time, even after you had started making money. So it wasn't the point to extract something from people is to exchange value essentially because they were getting value and you were getting value in return. Yes. I know somebody in business who like years ago, they would do like what you did where they do something free for somebody and they didn't even expect anything in return. And like years later now, they're seeing the return of that value, but even greater because of, you know, they were just helping out somebody who didn't have a position then and all that. And now they have a position that can affect things and they're seeing the benefits of giving value to other people that many years ago years later. And I think that happens a lot more than people realize. So let, let me frame the closing thoughts for you guys for, let me frame the closing thoughts this way. If you're giving one piece of advice to someone on how to live this out, what do you do? I think I like the analogy of, well, not analogy. It's like a literal thing, but normalizing iron and steel to become stronger. And I think that's like, something good to keep in the back of your mind for like adding value to your life. I think it's going to take heat. Like with what you're saying, like Brian, it doesn't matter. Like you can fire me from this job. I'm going to go add value to anywhere I go because that's within me eternally. But I think that has to be built up with us, within us with a process. So that like when we do get heated again, like it doesn't change our structure and all that. Like we're, we come out on the other side of like this process of like heating and changing within who we are better and more valuable and that we can bring that value anywhere. And I think like, that's just good to note for our lives that it might not necessarily be the easiest thing, but in the end, at the end of it, when you come out on the other side of it, like pretty sure from my experience and I think most people's experience, they feel more value. And I think you can add more value to, everything around you. And that makes you a stronger person and stronger knowing who you are. And it's more, it adds more value to your own life, which is rewarding within itself, even if it's not immediate and painful in some ways. I would say God made you uniquely valuable. And that inherently means you have something valuable to give. And I would say, 
if you don't know what that is, you need to spend more time with God discovering who he is and who he made you to be to understand the value that you have and the value that you can give away. And I would also say that if you do know your value and you know what you have, be willing to give it away for free with no cost, no no charge, nothing. Be willing to give away and put your trust in God knowing that you will get a return somewhere. That, that last of the three things to normalize things really has been standing out to me. And honestly, we really can't wait for the world to normalize these things. You have to start living now as if these things are normal and operating as if it is normal to exchange value and not to extract it from people, that it's normal to understand this system you're in and how to operate in that system with these kingdom principles we've been talking about. We have to start living today like that is normal because the world's not going to normalize these things for you. It's just not going to happen. And I really think the conversations that we're going to have here this year are going to tangibly benefit a lot of people's lives. I really believe that the things we've been talking about behind the scenes, you guys, um, I really think we're going to start to see a shift in the way people actually operate and live. And at times it's hard to picture that because we feel like we're just, for dopes talking on a podcast at times, but um, there's some really incredible things coming this year. And so we do appreciate all you guys listening in uh, to each and every episode, sharing it, commenting on the social media and all that stuff. So if you haven't checked us out on social media yet, make it your new year's resolution to do so. And uh, hopefully your new year's resolution will last longer than this podcast, but until next time, keep the faith and stay in the fight.